0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature A.W. Tozer. Aiden Wilson Tozer was born April 21st in 1897 on a small farm among the spiny ridges of western Pennsylvania. Within a few short years, Tozer, as he preferred to be called, would earn the reputation and title of a 20th century prophet. Today, A.W. Tozer presents a study on Hebrews 6, building a firm foundation. book of Hebrews continuing. I had lunch on another day this week. I don't want to get the impression that I'm always out lunching with people, but this time a man who was the head of the Christian Medical Society was in the city and was a good friend of mine, and uh, he told me that he had been in London and had gone to hear Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. And he said, Dr. Jones got up and said, We are studying the book of Hebrews. We have been 12 years in the book of Hebrews. 12 years. And he said, This is the third message on this verse. So uh, this is the 15th talk only on the book of Hebrews, and we're nearly halfway through. So you see, <clears throat> I go faster than Dr. Lloyd-Jones goes. The book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do, if God permit. Since the next word is for, There's a break, and we'll start with verse 3, and notice what the writer said. This uh, was occasioned, these words here, were occasioned by a condition among the Hebrew Christians to whom this was written. Something strange had happened to them. They had reached a state of arrested development. And as always the case, when development arrests, it doesn't remain there, it starts back. And that is what has happened. Have you ever noticed these uh, most uh, uh, disturbing words preceding this? It says in the fifth and fourth verse back of it, in 511, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered seeing, you're dull of hearing. Now, the reason it was hard to say it was, not that the writer found it hard to express what he had to say, but that the hearer wasn't getting it, and so it's difficult to say something. Did you ever try talking to a person that didn't know a word you were saying, that didn't know your language, stand and talk earnestly to him, and uh, he just not shake his head and maybe have one word that he'd learned, meaning, I don't understand. Well, that's the reason it was hard. We have many things to say, but I'm talking one language and you speak another, he said. Seeing you're dull of hearing, for, for the time that you've had, you ought to be teachers yourselves. But now you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such. I want you to see, are become such. They weren't such, but they have become such. As they have need of milk and not of strong meat. They had actually regressed and gone back to their childhood state. After having, obviously, grown some, they, they started growing backwards. For everyone that uses milk, he explains, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe But strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, he said that we were to leave the first principles, that is, the elementary instructions of the Christian faith, we are to leave them, but not leave them behind. I want you to notice that that we are to not leave them as one would leave one house and go to another, or one city and go to another. We are to leave them behind as a builder who is building a house lays the foundation. Then he leaves the foundation behind as he goes upward. And if it's a building like some of the big buildings downtown... They leave that far behind, and they go up a story, and another story, and another story, up and up and up, until they have 30, 40, 50 stories towering in the air. And they have left the foundation, not that they've departed from it, but that they've built up on it. Now, that's what the man of God means. Now, what are these first principles which we are to leave? He names them for us, so there'll be no misunderstanding. He says, Repentance and faith, and baptism, and the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, these are the elementary, first principles of the doctrine, and we are to leave them as a builder leaves the foundation and builds on up. Not laying again the foundation, he says, but uh, the structure must rest on the foundation. However, high, it may tower into the sky, it may or must rest on the foundation. It rests upon the foundation of Christ and of who he is and of repentance and faith in him and baptism into the body of Christ and the coming resurrection of the dead and the judgment to come. These basic doctrines of the faith, that will rest upon them. And no matter how far we go in the Christian faith, we never leave these they're there as the a foundation upon which we build. But the trouble here was that they never went beyond the foundation. They never went beyond the foundation. They, uh, the, the, the exclusive preoccupation with elementary truth is a characteristic of evangelicals today. The, uh, uh, the, the, the ignoring of of Christian truth is characteristic of the liberals, but exclusive preoccupation with the first principles, that is characteristic of the, the average church, even the average alliance church. And he says that that keeps us a babe all our lives, for you see, he leaves, he, he shifts his figures of speech back and forth. We're told, you know, in school never to do that, they call that mixing your metaphors. And our Lord Jesus mixed his metaphors plenty, and so did Paul, and so did everybody else that had anything to say. You don't go by your metaphors. You go by what you're trying to say. Uh, Henry Ward Beecher, one of the greatest preachers of his generation, said, When the English language gets in my way, God help the English language. And uh, so he said here, talking about a baby and drinking milk and a foundation and the elementary foundational principles... So we have them both before us, and I want to take this about the baby for a little bit and show you how it's possible to be frozen in your babyhood state, have your growth suspended and stay right there. Notice the marks of a baby, beautiful in a baby but terrible in a person when they get to be 18 years old or 20 or even 5. First is, a baby can't concentrate. On anything very long. Have you noticed that? That a baby loses interest about as fast as it's possible to lose interest. It just disappears. They'll scream and yell and grab for something delightedly and get it, and one and a half minutes later throw it down and be looking for something else. That is typical of a baby, and it's it's the way God meant a baby to be. But he didn't mean the baby's father to be like that, nor the baby's mother, nor the baby's seven-year-old uh, sister. He didn't mean them to be like that. That's, uh, that's characteristic of the baby. And it's characteristic of Christians who became Christians, fundamental Christians, and then froze and stopped developing, that uh, they're unable to stick to spiritual exercises. They can't pray very long. And uh, they can't meditate. In fact, they smile at the whole idea of meditation. They think that was for Thomas Kempis. And uh, Bible reading, they don't do it very much, or very much else that takes discipline and uh, maturity. And I notice the second thing about a baby is that they have no, that they have no relish. That is, they're preoccupied with simple things. With, uh, with, with foundational things, uh, they, 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 you never talk to a baby about existentialism or the Cold War. The baby's satisfied with a half a dozen little things, enough to eat and to keep warm and dry and to keep its mother within yelling distance. That's about all baby cares about. And uh, there are Christians that grow up and they have no relish for anything spiritually advanced. They're preoccupied with their first lessons. There, there, there they, they go. The average church is a school with only one grade, and that's the first one. They never expect to get beyond that, and they don't want to hear a man very long that wants to take him beyond that. If they insist, they do their, if the pastor insists they do their homework and get ready for the next grade, why do they begin to pray the Lord will call our dear brother somewhere else? That happens so much, you know. They say, Lord, bless our dear brother. And the worse they hate him, the more they bear down on the words, our dear brother. They say, take him somewhere else. Well, all he's trying to do is prepare them for another grade. But that church is dedicated to the first grade. And the first grade is going to remain and will remain, and that was it here. Paul said, actually, some of them went up into the second grade and gave it up and said, it's too hard here, and they went back to the first. How long have you been in the first grade, junior? Twelve years. Well, how long have you been listening to the same truth and, uh, and uh, hearing the same doctrine? You must be born again. And, uh, and uh, there's a judgment and so on. Well, that's true. And we, we must not leave that. We must, but we must use that to advance. But we don't do it. We whole generations of Christians grow up in the first grade. And they learn to read their Bible in the light of this. To them, nothing in the Bible ever means anything beyond this elementary stage. They have Bible conferences dedicated to the first grade in the Christian life. Bible schools dedicated to the uh, continuance of the first grade. Well, I, I, from my part, I, I feel that uh, I want a little ambition, a little spiritual ambition. Paul said, I forget the things that are behind, and I press toward the mark. There was a man not satisfied with the first grade. And notice another thing about a baby is it's, cry for amusement. It loves to be amused. When I'm on a bus somewhere and I see a baby looking over a mother's shoulder, now if the mother sees me, I just sit there dignified as can be. But if the, if I can see the baby, I begin to do these things, and I invariably, invariably get to rouse the baby and we have a nice time, and finally the mother notices him pulls him down wonders who that old fellow is back there. Well, I won't harm the baby, but they love to be amused, and it doesn't take a hundred dollars to do it. You can do it but working your finger like this or looking through your finger at them. They love to be amused, and the cry for amusement in religion is an evidence that we are frozen in the first grade. We're still children, and we're going to remain that way. Children have to have toys, and they have to have novelties, and they have to have have new uh, playmates every once in a while. And the church is like that. And the religious entertainment is so corrupted, the church of Christ, that millions don't know that it's a heresy. Millions of evangelicals throughout the world have devoted themselves to religious entertainment, and they don't know that it's a heresy. As much a heresy as the counting of beads or the splashing of holy water or something else. Just as much a heresy and as far from being true. Now, to expose this, of course, raises a storm of angry protest among the people. One thing this man wanted to know about—that may I have talked? This businessman wanted to know. He said, the "Brother told her he said, I don't make a god out of you, but I follow you and I believe you." And he said, "What I'd like to know is why so many people like you don't know what you're talking about." And I said, "Brother Reisner, I give it up. I have no idea why it is, but it's true." But as soon as they think that you're exposing the, uh, the, uh, the love of religious entertainment, you're finished in a minute. One man wrote a, an article to uh, as an expose of me. He said that I claimed that religious entertainment was wrong. He said, don't you know that every time you sing a hymn, it's entertainment? Every time you sing a hymn. Well, I don't know how that fellow ever finds his way home at nights. So I really don't know. He ought to have a and eye dog and a man with a white cap Just to take him home, when you raise your eyes to God and sing, Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me, is that entertainment or is it worship? Isn't there a difference between worship and entertainment? And a church that can't worship must be entertained. And men who can't lead the church to worship must provide the entertainment. And that's why we have the great evangelical heresy on the heresy of religious entertainment. And then child can't read nor enjoy advanced Christian literature, advanced literature, even when they get to be six years old, or five, six years old. They'll come and make you sit down. They'll read the book through, but all it says is, I saw a cat, and the cat was white. You know, there's nothing much to it. There's nothing profound. They, never, they, wouldn't, they they wouldn't they, If they never went beyond that, you'd feel very bad for your child. When he first comes home and says, "Mummy, listen to me, and no matter what you're doing or what burning on the stove, he grabs you and pulls you down and reads. He can read how proud you are. He can read wonderful. He never thought he'd make it. But he did. Now he can read. Read the whole book. We never knew how many, how much our kids memorized and fooled us, but anyhow, they were reading. And, uh, but suppose ten years from now he comes in. Now he's seventeen. And he comes in and says, Mommy, I can read. The cat is red. You'd say to your husband, I think we ought to do something for this boy. I think we ought to take him somewhere. That's exactly why the Holy Ghost wrote the book of Hebrews. He said, let's leave this. Why, why, be, why stay where you are and remain forever? engrossed in the fundamentals of religion and excuse anything by repeating, you've got to be born again, and then have any kind of a show, and then say, no, you've got to be born. Any kind of a show, and then say, be born again. First principles all over again. Well, he says here plainly, the Holy Ghost says, no. I let the Holy Ghost say this, I'm not saying it, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on toward perfection, not laying again these early foundations of the doctrines of Christ and so on, but let us go on under perfection. Now, how shall we go on? Well, of course, perfection means maturity, just as, just as when your son stands 21 years old and 22 years old, he's having his college degree, he's as healthy as they come, and good-natured and well-balanced, and you're proud of that big boy. What's happened to him is he's matured, that's all, but he's not perfect. Lots of times, go into his room in the morning and see if what you see lying around there is perfect. He steps out of his trousers and leaves them there, and his shoes over here. He's not perfect, but he's matured. He's come up to his maturity now, and you're happy and feel good. And if you're a Christian, you thank God, my boy, is stands tall and straight and mature now and healthy. That's what the Holy Ghost means. He doesn't mean become a wax saint without a a speck of imperfection, without a freckle on your soul. He means become mature in God, grow up in God, so that you're no longer a baby and, uh, and having to be entertained with the first principles, but that you are now growing up in God. Becoming a strong Christian, learning to carry heavy burdens in the Holy Spirit, learning to pray effectively and learning to suffer with the world and suffer with the church and carry the cross. How do I go about it? Let me give you briefly. For it's Communion Sunday and I won't be long. Let me give you two or three things here, half a dozen. One is make up your minds. You know, by making up your mind, you can't save yourself. But you can make up your mind to get saved. And you can make up your mind after you are saved to go on with God. And until our minds are made up, God won't work with an unmade up mind, or if he does, he will work toward getting it made up. Make up your mind. Get the loose ends tied up and get ready. As a soldier, some young man here called to the Canadian army. All right, he gets that nice little letter. It says nice verbal, beautifully worded, fraternal, nice sounding letter, but it all means the same thing you're it. And so the young fellow goes, and uh, he, uh, before he goes, he fixes up his room and he uh, has the last date with his girlfriend. And he goes down where he hangs out sometimes, talks to the boys, and says, Well, I'll be seeing you in two years. And uh, he sort of gets ready. He, he, he says goodbye and gets ready, so a Christian. A Christian, when he makes up his mind to go on with God and to go up into God and to learn the deep and high and lofty things of God, got to make up his mind to do it and say, "Now I've fooled around the kindergarten long enough. I've I've been a this is a cat Christian long enough. Now I want to grow up until I know what God's talking about and the high lofty things of the spirit." Then the second thing is put away unchristlike things, put away unchristlike habits, put away. Uh, unchristlike acts and, and, and squelch within you unchristlike desires and put away unchristlike plans and get rid of hindrances and thoughts and thought habits. And then the third thing is become preoccupied with the scriptures, become preoccupied with the Word of God. This book of God is a powerful thing, powerful indeed. And if you will read it, it will bring you out and take you on. This, when we say, Break thou the bread of life, we're praying that God will give us understanding of the Scriptures. And then we're, by pushing it on a bit and raising it a bit to its mystical phase, we're saying, Lord, when we take communion, break thou the bread to me. That's all the same. So get preoccupied with the Scriptures. Don't just have a chapter occasionally, but read it until it, 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 it warms your heart. Read it until it begins to talk to you. We haven't read the Scripture as long as we're reading it until it becomes begins to talk to us. We haven't been reading it. We only think we have been. So get preoccupied with the Scriptures. Get a good big-text Bible. And I recommend King James, but uh, there are other good versions besides the King James, but the King James is a good basic version always to have around and trust. Don't let anybody fool you. You can trust it. Spurgeon preached out of this book, and Moody preached out of this book, and the great souls that have shaken the world used this book in the last 300 years. And I, for my part, don't like the idea that they are, Scholars are all running around telling us we can't trust it. I got saved on it, and I didn't know there was another one when I got converted on the King James Version. So I say, make it your basic version. If you want a few others to get disappointed, then have them around, but make it your basic version. And then the fourth thing is take up your cross. Learn learn how to suffer for the Lord's sake a little bit. They tell us the reason that the Communists are slowly encroaching on us of the Western world is that we of the Western world love our comforts too much. And they're not looking for comforts, they're looking for victory. And the early Christians, they stole a lot of that from the early Christians. A friend of mine went to see a man who was the head of a, a local communist cell in the local communist uh, headquarters where they sent out literature, and the communists said, Come in, Reverend, and sit down. He went in, sat down, he said, now, uh, I, we're communists, you know that, and you're a minister. He said, of course, we're miles apart. But he said, I want to tell you something. We learned our technique from your book of Acts. He said, we learned how to win and conquer by you from your book of Acts. And he said, you who believe the Bible have thrown overboard the methods of the early church, and we who don't believe it have adopted them and they're working. And what was the very simple method of the early church was to go witness, give everything to the Lord, and give up all to God, and bury a cross, take the consequences. And the result was, in the first hundred years of the Christian church, the whole known world was evangelized. We don't know that now, because our missionaries are telling us they're leaving the impression they don't intend to do it, but they leave the impression that there are parts of the world that were not evangelized. Every part of the world was evangelized, that is every part of the known world. Was evangelized in the day of our Lord, in the day of after our Lord about 100 years. Well, and then the next thing is get Christ in your focus. Get the Lord Jesus Christ in your focus. Show me thy face, one transient gleam of loveliness divine, and I will never think or dream of any love save thine. And open your heart to the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure God will take us on. Now, this isn't a luxury. I'm not being argued here. Won't you have a luxury binding for your Bible? Won't you have a luxury uh, car? Won't you have a luxury? I'm not asking. This isn't a luxury. This is basic necessity that we forsake the first principles and give up our childhood and go on into God. It is basic necessity for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have slipped away to renew them under repentance. It says it here. So this doctrine this morning, this teaching, this exhortation by the Holy Spirit to leave the first principles of the Christian doctrine and go on toward perfection is not to make uh, deluded saints. It is to make any kind of saints the most basic necessity in the Christian life. I think this would be a wonderful morning for all of us. As we have our communion, a little late because of our missionary convention interfering, we're coming in between, it's three Sundays late, but it's communion Sunday, and I think it would be a wonderful time for us Christians. Instead of sitting there waiting for the service to end, if when the bread is received, we would think of that body broken for us, and the wine is drunk, we would think of that blood shed for us, and the prayers are made and the songs are sung. We'd surrender and repent and yield and look up and trust. We might go a long way this morning if we do this. And this will we do as the Holy Ghost says, if God permits. This sermon by A.W. Tozer is provided courtesy of the archives of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.